This past year and a half, we've all had a lot of time to reflect on our world, to appreciate what is beautiful and incredible about it, but also think about what needs to change. Social issues like the climate crisis, racial justice, and gun control have been at the forefront of the discussion in our nation this past year. But lately, in addition to calling for the government to address these problems, Americans are now looking to big business to move the needle. It's a classic case of the Peter Parker principle. With great power comes great responsibility. In this case, the responsibility to create social change. For the most part, companies have tried to live up to that responsibility, creating purpose-driven campaigns that work to address some of the most pressing problems of today. But it's hard to live up to these new expectations without any guidance or any past experience. So today we're going to dive deep into how to make a truly authentic, impactful campaign based on some of the extensive research we've done on that subject. Back in January of 2020, our center's associate director, Burkhart Tendrich, with the help of Director of Strategic Planning at Weber Shanwick, Julia Kefauver, led a team of researchers studying purpose. They analyzed almost 300 campaigns to develop a roadmap for creating purpose-led communication plans. And as we've seen, this past year has made their findings even more relevant. 2020, the combination of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter have both been accelerators in this. Yes, it has certainly accelerated this existing trend towards purpose. But I also think something else is very much a result of the pandemic is that increasing demand for companies that might compete with each other to actually come together and work together when their collaboration is needed. If I now think of the time since uh, the pandemic hit, I can name you many off the top of my head healthcare companies, you know, providing their facilities for other healthcare companies who had already come up with a vaccine to produce the vaccine and they're on their sites. That's just one example. AB InBev comes to mind that that changed all of their beer construction sites, or at least uh, the one in Germany, for it to produce hand sanitizer. It really brought to light what is possible and that what was meant to be impossible before. Because let's face it, can you think of something like this from, from a time before the pandemic? I can't. Welcome to season three of PR Future. In the first half of this season, we'll be looking at the impact of purpose on 2021, starting with a review of our report with Burkhardt and Julia. We'll discuss their top tips on creating authentic campaigns, using interactive channels, and creating change on a global landscape. I'm your host, Fred Cook, and this is PR Future. Let me start with you, BT. As you know, the Center for Public Relations, where you and I work, conducted a study this past year, right after the election, and it was about politics, polarization, and purpose. What we found was that despite having a new president in the United States, it looked like polarization was going to stay the same and increase over the coming years. And in response to that, when we asked public relations professionals, what are they going to do to react to that environment? Many of them said they were going to do more purpose-driven campaigns. And I wondered from your perspective, why do you think that 
that's the case. I think there are a number of drivers. So the first one you mentioned, essentially, the idea that we live in a highly polarized society here. The second one is really the change in the media environment that we've witnessed over the last few years or even decades. Now, every brand has the opportunity to have a voice. And some people will say they even have an obligation to speak up. So it's just easier for brands now to be their own mass media and reach people. And the third one is another change in society. And that is in particular that, that younger people want brands to be involved. They vote with their wallet by picking products and services that are associated with brands that uh, speak up on issues that are important to those consumers. Thanks, BT. And Julia, you work in Germany for Weber Schanwick, and our study about polarization was mainly the U.S., but do you see the same trends happening in Europe these days? I'd certainly say there's similarities, and purpose itself is also becoming more and more important in Europe, or in Germany in particular as well. When it comes to the type of causes that are being addressed by brands or organizations in general, I do think there's there are some differences. So first off, I think the number one cause here is sustainability and sustainability as it relates to reducing CO2 emissions. So I'd even argue that if a brand doesn't do anything on that front, it really can't claim to be purpose-driven in any sort. We've also conducted a study with PR Week about purpose itself and what a purpose-driven campaign needs to entail in order to be successful. Can you tell us a little bit about how that study came about? Gladly, Fred. We partnered with PR Week. PR Week in 2019 did its first now annual Purpose Awards competition. I've been a judge in that competition. So in my free time, I read a lot of purpose cases submitted by various brands. And when doing so, I asked myself the question, sort of what do these have in common? Is there a common methodology? Are there best practices? We partner with PR Week and our research team went through almost 300 purpose cases, purpose entries, and we mapped them out and developed essentially a typology, a typology that looked into the various aspects of purpose. For instance, the subjects that were being covered, but also best practices in terms of how these campaigns were being conducted. And what did you find in the results when you looked at all these campaigns? Did you feel like these campaigns had similarities or were some better than others? How did you rate them? They definitely had some similarities, but certainly some were better than others. We looked at authenticity as one of the main pillars of purpose campaigns. So as a brand, at the end of the day, you want to sell a product or a service, and that's fine. That's great. But the question is, if you engage in purpose communication, do you do it authentically with a purpose in mind, or do you do it primarily with sales in mind? And that's where we saw differences. We saw some campaigns that clearly put the purpose first, and we saw others that were more in the middle, that were a little opportunistic. And we saw luckily only very few cases where we thought the motivation here was clearly sales and not purpose. Can you give any examples, BT, of campaigns that you thought were really authentic and true to the brand and its purpose? Yes, one example is, is Levi Strauss. So Levi Strauss, 
unfortunately, a few years ago, had an incident in one of their stores where a gun was shot. And uh, they pretty much immediately adopted gun restrictions as one of their purpose categories to communicate about. And one of the cases that they submitted and we read and coded was about that. And it was very clear to us as a research team that they put purpose first. It was very authentic. This was not about selling more jeans. This was about expressing their opinion on gun laws in the United States. And it's interesting, BT, we did a podcast with Kelly McGinnis, who runs communications for Levi's. And she talked about purpose as being part of Levi's heritage. Back in the day, they were one of the first companies to support research and AIDS and, and spoke out when no one else wanted to talk about it. So it seems like having a history of activism or history of purpose helps brands be more authentic when they're uh, communicating on these topics. Did you find that? Absolutely. One of the best practices that we identified was longevity. What that means is Many of the cases that we thought were most authentic were those where a brand had made a long-term commitment to a cause, rather than just sort of opportunistically jumping on an opportunity. And this goes hand in hand with the notion of brand fit. Does a certain cause really fit with the purpose of the organization? Really good example being Patagonia, of course, which is a company that has written it into its bylaws that whatever they do is intended to protect the planet. So anything they communicate about environmental issues is incredibly authentic for that reason. And after the study was completed or after these wards were analyzed by you and your team, the Black Lives Matter protests broke out in, across the United States. And we saw a lot of companies rush to state their support for these protesters and the, and the ideals of Black Lives Matter. How did you see that fitting into your, the paradigm that you understood from your research? Were these companies doing the right thing or were they having a hard time figuring out what to do? Overall, what we saw in 2020 as it relates to Black Lives Matter, also as it relates to the pandemic, was that companies spoke up in order to engage with their constituencies, whether that's customers or, very importantly, their own employees. Brands felt a lot of pressure to speak up on this topic of Black Lives Matter as their customers demanded so, their employees demanded so, and maybe even the entire supply chain. So it became less of an optional issue to engage in. The problem with that is whenever a brand, certainly in the United States, enters a politically charged discussion, they will appease as many people as they will offend. And that is something that the communicators need to keep in mind. They cannot please everybody by either getting involved in a politically charged discussion or not getting involved. That's an interesting way to look at it. We also interviewed the head of uh, activism for Ben and Jerry's. And he said something very interesting in our interview. He said, if your campaign doesn't make somebody mad, then it's probably not worth doing. I think that's very well put. And I think there's some, some truth to it. So if you do engage in purpose-driven campaigns, you need to be aware that you will not keep everybody happy. And you need to make very conscious decisions along those lines. And our research asked PR people which issues they thought would be the most controversial in the coming year. And there was a whole wide range of them, but a number of them, people weren't comfortable 
engaging in on behalf of their clients and companies. How do you, as a communications officer, as a PR agency, how do you decide which issues to engage with and which to sort of leave alone? How do you, how do you make that decision? Because obviously you can't be involved in every single issue that's, that crosses your uh, transom. Yeah, and I think there are different philosophies on how to approach this question. One answer would be you engage in topics that are absolutely important to you, to you as an officer in the company, to you as a brand, to your constituencies. Black Lives Matter probably falls into that category, as do the voting right restrictions that we've seen in several states over the last few months. Now, by doing that, you know that you will be offending about as many people as you will be appeasing. So a safer way to go would be to gauge the appetite that your communication environment has for your engagement in controversial discussions. That's more pragmatic, to degree opportunistic, but it may also be a reality that not every brand can talk about everything they want and still be successful in the market. Why do you think now it is so important, BT, for brands to be paying attention to purpose and, and talking about their values more than their products the way they have in the past? So in our research study, we obviously have gone through literature, both academic and business literature on the topic. And there are numerous studies out there that provide empirical evidence that in particular, younger consumers will make their consumer decisions, their economic choices, based on whether a certain brand stands for a topic that they support or doesn't. So you could say it's more important now than ever because it has direct impact on the top line of a company as well as the bottom line. Purpose communication is becoming a business critical function, more so than it was in the past. And I would argue increasingly so looking into the future. And do you think that public relations is the best way to communicate these types of campaigns, say, versus running ads on television talking about what a company is doing? Personally, I think it's about the entire communication mix. So you should communicate purpose across paid, earned, shared, and owned media. And that's what we saw actually in many of the campaigns. There were classic media relations aspects to it. There was a lot of owned media, whether that was on companies' websites or blogs, certainly paid media as well. So I would say it's PR, it's advertising, it's various forms of brand communication, ideally all forms that should be utilized. And Julia, when you look at these purpose-driven campaigns, how do you measure their success? How should a company measure their success when they're talking about an issue or an ideal or a value as opposed to a particular product or service? Fred, I think when it comes to measurement, we all know that measurement should always be tied to the objective, to the goal. And this applies for purpose communication as well. So, so we believe that a purpose campaign should also measure the success towards the cause. So how much the cause, may that be gender equality or prevention of gun violence, how much that has been advanced. So that just applies here as well. It's just important to understand that if your campaign or your communication is supposed to advance a certain cause, then your measurement should also measure how much or to what degree you advance that cause. 
do you think it's a good idea, given what you just said, to to ask your customers and your employees what issues they think you should address? Or do you think it's better just to work from your heart and say, this is something we need to talk about? Well, Fred, I'm a big believer in research and crowdsourcing in general. So I think it can never hurt to ask any type of stakeholders and then still determine afterwards what you do with that information. So I think it, 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 it is always valuable to speak to different stakeholders to see what's on their radar. And yeah, it, it certainly can't hurt. And your study analyzed these different campaigns on a number of criteria. Can you explain what those criteria were? So we did have some predefined things that we took a look at. For instance, you know, the audience that was being addressed or the measurement that was undertaken in the campaign. And then while the research team looked through all these case studies, we also came across new categories or new things that we started to take a look at. Yeah. First, starting with the, the cost categories, what purpose causes do brands engage with? We saw, for instance, that social causes were in the United States, the most frequently chosen ones. Health was big, um, economic and actually environmental causes not that many compared to what we would have expected or certainly what you would have seen out of Europe. Then Julia briefly referenced brand fit. So we looked at what is the relationship between the brand and the purpose that they choose. And we categorized high, medium or low brand fit. And our recommendation is that either can work. You can go with a high, medium or low brand fit. But what's important is consistency and longevity. Another one was measurement, as Julia talked about a minute ago. And this is where we saw, frankly, many brands, in our opinion, not doing it quite right, because most of the measurements were conventional PR measurements, such as reach, audience reach, etc. So they looked at how much visibility the brand got from a purpose campaign. We say a better way to do it is how much mileage did the purpose get? out of the campaign rather than the brand. So the benefit for the purpose should be the driver as opposed to the benefit for the brand. That is correct. That's exactly true. And when we did our study on activism, which I'm sure you remember, BT, we asked companies how often they worked with activist groups in developing these sort of campaigns. And we were struck by the, the low number of companies that actually engaged activist groups when putting together a program like this. Did you find that in the programs that you examined that there were a lot of companies that had partnered with an activist group? Absolutely, we did. And we did identify this as a best practice, partnering. Whether that is with an organization that would narrowly define itself as activist or a nonprofit of some sort. Definitely partnering is a best practice and we saw it a lot. And we came to the conclusion that the best campaigns actually had very significant partner involvement. I agree 100%. And I think the best practice here is to look for a partner that best complements your strengths. So that may be an NGO with deep local expertise, or that may even be an organization from the public sector, or it may even be a direct competitor to yourself. 
So I think that's just something that we saw really across the board that a partner that complements your strength really just increases how purpose-led the campaign is. What's interesting, Julia, when we asked, the first time we asked this question, 14% of the companies we asked that they work with activist groups. A year later, that number doubled to 28%. It's still a low number, but over the course of Black Lives Matter, the, the number has doubled. As you look into the future, do you think you're going to see more and more companies partnering with people that in the past they may have been afraid to even talk to? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can name a very tangible example. I think even though <laughs> you guys are based in the U.S., I'm sure you're all familiar with Greta Thunberg, who uh, started the Fridays for Future movement, who to me is the epitome of an activist. We are working with her on a campaign that I'm currently working for the vast majority of campaigns that I see being implemented in Europe that have a connection to purpose. Yes, activists are very much at the forefront. I'd even say that a lot of influencers would probably describe themselves as activists in, in some shape or form. I actually see, and luckily I'd say, see the term or the construct of influencer change. So whether before you, you know, you might've thought, okay, I want to attract this type of consumer. So I go for this influencer that has this type of audience that fits my, my perfect consumer. Now, and in the, in the realms of purpose, you think of a cause and then you think of, you know, people who are credible, who are credible in, in talking about this cause and who have actually moved the needle themselves, who has, have been active in this space. So I'd say more so now people are actually opting to work with activists who have just become influencers as a result of it. So I think the whole, you know, influencer mantra has changed. And I'd say that's a positive development. And BT, you mentioned, we saw that a lot of the activists are young people these days. And you said that these purpose-driven campaigns tend to appeal to millennials and, and Gen Z. Do you see that this whole purpose movement being driven by younger people? Not exclusively. I think there is interest across different generations, but you're probably right that younger people are more likely in larger numbers to engage with purpose than older generations. But it does strike me as a shift that we're seeing across the communication spectrum. So it's almost the evolution of uh, corporate social responsibility. No longer does a brand just pick some cause that it also supports. The best practice is really baking purpose into your brand and talking about it very consistently. And that requires buy-in on all levels of the organization, including the C-suite, which obviously <laughs> tends to be uh, older than, than the younger consumers. Speaking of the C-suite, we talked about Black Lives Matter and, and the number of companies that came out in support of that movement, but many were criticized for saying nice things, but not taking any action. How does action fit into a good purpose-driven campaign? Again, you're identifying a best practice that we observed, engaging in a purpose campaign that moves the needle for the purpose, that does not just create headlines, but actually makes changes. For instance, several of the campaigns we looked at were about mental health issues. And these brands, in most cases, ended up partnering with 
mental health nonprofits. And they were supporting specific campaigns with a specific outcome, that is improvement in certain mental health measurements, right? So really focusing on moving the needle for the purpose itself, and that will give you the visibility rather than just talking about something that's wrong or that you feel is important, but not really actively getting involved in it. And given that action is so important, Julia, how do you think younger consumers know? How do they evaluate whether a company is just saying the right thing or they're actually doing something about it? People, young people, consume media, read things, talk to each other. But I'd also say there's you know, there's a lot of kind of third party sources now. So when you think of a employer brand, for instance, you know, yes, you can check the website and read about, you know, how great the company is and how much the company is living up to it. But I think more and more people would be looking on Indeed or Glassdoor to hear from current or previous employees what it is really like to work there. If they're really living up to the kind of employer brand that they're selling pretty much. So third parties are becoming more important and we've become very accustomed to this as consumers. And I think this applies here as well. And then one other thing is certifications. I mean, of course, we all know about, you know, B B Corps, but there's also a lot of just external kind of certifications that you can get. And that can also be an award, I'd say, if it's a reputable award that awards uh, you know companies or brands for doing something in the in the purpose area then that could be an indication as well that's really helpful so the the awards help gain the credibility i remember in one of my classes we were talking about things that brands are doing and jeff bezos had donated two billion dollars to help the homeless and i asked the class what they thought of that because i was that's a lot of money i was pretty impressed and they were very skeptical and they said why doesn't you just give the amazon employees an increase in their salary they thought that would be more meaningful and i i was uh, blown away by that answer because i number one i didn't know that they were aware of the issues in amazon but do you think that sort of skepticism and that scrutiny is going to be part of the flip side of purpose? I think flip side might even sound not so positive. I think this transparency is just something that is very important across the board when it comes to purpose. So I'd argue that that's a very positive thing. So, you know, that that people are actively looking for how it is to work there, what they're really doing, like in, in your example, what Amazon is, is paying their employees. So I'd say that's actually a very positive side effect of this movement that companies are held to higher transparency standards in across the board. Do you think that brands really do have a role in speaking up about societal issues? Or do you think that they are stepping outside of their area of expertise when they do that? It is my personal opinion, rather than a research finding, that brands need to communicate above and beyond the products and services they're selling. We're at a point where this is a necessity. Brands arguably dominate our public life and it is not sufficient to just speak about what you want to sell. You need to show that you are a good player, a contributor to society or to the environment and that you as an organization make changes and evolve in a way that you're a good player.
Julia, if I was to ask you the, a similar question, but it seems like the consumer brands, the brands that have a public face or the ones that are most likely to go down this purpose-driven path, do you see in the future B2B brands also following their lead? Absolutely. And I think the general imbalance of intention that we're giving to consumer brands because we are all consumers and not all of us are also business customers, I'd say. So I think absolutely. And you know what, Fred? I actually think a lot of that is already happening, but B2B brands are just not that much at the center of attention. And, you know, they might also need more guidance that is specific to the B2B business. And Julia, just to follow up on that, this is, seems to be a phenomenon that is very present in the U.S. Are you seeing other countries take the same approach to purpose-driven campaigns? Are they becoming as popular elsewhere as they are in the U.S.? I can speak to what I observe in EMEA and in Germany in particular. So yes, absolutely. I think what BT was mentioning that, you know, particularly young people just expect this. It'll become table stakes for brands to have a purpose and live up to it. And at some point, you know, that will be the standard. And we're, we're hopefully getting there sooner rather than later. But absolutely, I think we're seeing this in Europe. I see this in my daily work more and more, even brands where you, you know, you might not expect them to have these type of discussions. It's at least a discussion and conversations are happening. If we see this already as the outcome, as a campaign, maybe not, but the discussions are already happening. And as you said, they're table stakes. And I think there are people out there who now believe that purpose is a table stake. And the next iteration of corporate social responsibility is really what they call corporate activism. You're making issues a key part of your overall business strategy. Do you, do you see that happening, BT? I do see that happening. And as Julia already said, also in the B2B space, not only consumer facing. And I think a lot of that is driven by employees. Example would be the large tech companies in the San Francisco Bay Area that for many years have spoken up very loudly about uh, LGBTQ issues simply due to the fact that this is a topic that directly affects many of their employees. So there is a need to become a brand activist. It's not just a choice. Well, it's an exciting time, I think, to be working in public relations these days because there are so many issues that we have to address as communicators for our clients and for our companies. But it also puts an enormous responsibility on our shoulders to get this right. If a company CEO is listening to our podcast, and I hope that they are, and thinking about getting into this purpose-driven communication, what would be the one piece of advice you would give them? If you do it, do it right. Put the purpose first, set measurable goals that measure how you're advancing the purpose, involve your constituencies, your employees, as much as you can, your customers, and partner with activists and nonprofits. It's a journey, like a lot of things. And there is a starting point. And be honest, involve other people with different perspective in the conversations and then start. Do it with, you know, with goals in mind, with, with something that you want to achieve. And it's fine to not be perfect in the beginning, but make sure you learn 
from any mistakes or missteps that you might have might have taken. So my last question is, as you look into the future, this is a question for both of you to answer. Which emoji do you think describes the way you feel about the next couple of years? <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I I don't even know what the name of that emoji is in <laughs> German. <laughs> so I have no so, idea yeah. what to call I'm it. In my mind. What yeah. to call it in English. I can describe it. It's yeah. where the head explodes a little bit, but I'd argue that the expression is still quite positive. So a lot of things happening, but still with a positive outlook. Okay. I'd so say that's it. Exploding head with a positive outlook. How about you, BT? Yeah, I can think of a number of emojis that would all basically convey the same thing, optimism and a, a, a strong drive to, to move and to further the cause and to do it right. And as we say at USC, sometimes it looks like two fingers up like this, BT, fight on. Fight on, Fred. Thank you both very much for participating in this really interesting conversation. We're at the, not at the beginning, but we're at the early stages of what corporate activism is, has the potential to be. And I think any advice we can give companies that are getting into this, into this fray is going to be uh, very valuable. And I look forward to the next version of this survey and more and more about purpose coming from Annenberg. And thank you all for being part of this. Creating long-lasting change takes time and dedication, and it doesn't happen overnight. But businesses have an increasing role to play in moving the needle on social issues. And with little help from the researchers at the USC Center for Public Relations, we now have a roadmap for getting involved. To learn more about the future of our industry, check out the 2021 Global Communications Report on our website. And thanks for tuning in to PR Future, a progressive podcast created by PR professionals for PR professionals. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode was recorded and produced remotely in Los Angeles by Ron Antoinette and Zazu Lippert. I'm your host, Fred Cook, and this is PR Future.